0: If you're new today, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're in the second week of a series of messages called Welcome to Our Family, and you picked the absolute best time to come and check out our church because you're getting a chance to understand biblically about what the church is, what the Bible says the church is, what the storyline of the Bible is. And then starting next week for three weeks, we'll get into the specifics of our family. Revolution Church. But before we jump into that, I always have a time of prayer where we just ask God to meet with us and speak to us. But there's one thing that I want us to pray specifically about and for you guys to know that it's going on. Pastor David, our Canton campus pastor, this week him and his wife tested positive for COVID and they are at home doing pretty well. And so we just want you to know about that so that you can be praying for them and lifting them up in prayer. Obviously, this is just part of our normal life these days. And so there's a lot of people that have been affected by that. In fact, a member of our community here in Canton uh, passed away yesterday, Dr. Jernigan, who was just an incredible, incredible believer and loved our church, and we loved him so much. And so we know there's a lot going on with that, and so that's why we want to pray specifically about that before we jump into our message and also pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together, right? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the fact that. We can know no matter what is going on in our life, uh, no matter what is going on in the circumstances or the world around it, none of it caught you by surprise. That you are God, you are sovereign, you are in control. And you yourself told us that in this world, we would have sufferings, we would have trials. And it has been a, a long season of what feels like a prolonged trial, God. And there's been so many people that we know that have, gotten COVID and been fine, and then so many that have not and then lost their battle to it. And so we pray specifically right now for Pastor David and Leanna. We pray that you would continue to heal them. We know that you're with them and that you love them, and we pray for a speedy recovery for them. And I pray that our church would continue to surround them and let them know that we love them and care for them. And so God, I just pray for health and healing for them. And then we also pray for the Jernigan family who lost... Uh, just really, what was a legend in our local community here in Canton. Uh, God, pray for their family and the, their friends and just the community that was so affected by him. We thank you for his testimony. And God, that is what we want more than anything. We all know that life begins and ends, but what remains to be seen is the impact we make with our life. And so we thank you for the impact that he made on our community. And as we Dig into your word today, God. I pray that you would help us to see that you are working and you do have a plan, and the storyline of the Bible is true, and how you're working that out for our good and your glory. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to hear and to see what you would want us to hear and to see. And it's always helped me to communicate it in a way that honors you, because that is what it is first and foremost about. And then, secondly, it is helpful for us to understand. The, the truths of this scriptures that we're going to see, God, because we want to know that regardless of what we see around us, that you're working a plan because it helps us to understand that in the end, all things will work together for our good and your glory. And so we ask this. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in in this series of messages, we're kind of looking at different scriptures. Last week, we were in the book of Genesis, and I just kind of explained to you the history of what God was doing. And if you weren't here, I'll kind of recap it quickly for you, but even if you were, I'll tell you because you probably forgot, all right? I know how this goes. But the whole point of why we were created is because God wanted a family, God wanted a family. That's the only reason why you have kids. You don't have kids as your own personal retirement account, although that's not bad for them to help take care of you. But you have kids because you want a family. You want to share in love. You want to share your, you want to give your love. And God is the exact same way. In fact, that desire that we have for a family comes from Him. And that is why God reveals Himself primarily in familial language, and He calls Himself Father. And Jesus as our brother. So God wanted a family, so he created human beings, but if you know the story, we messed it up. We only got three chapters in before we didn't obey God because we all want to know who are my people and how is it like us to live, how is it like us to act, and God gave us the commandments, but then they denied that and act accordingly to their own sin, to their own ideas of like, I don't want to be a part of your people, I don't want to be a part of your family, I want to do my own thing. And then we talked about how God enacts his plan, which was always his plan, to redeem us back, and he does that through Noah first, and then when he gives him the command, he starts over after the flood, he says to multiply and fill the earth, and then they don't. So then at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, God spreads them out, creates the nations, he creates all the languages of the world, and then at Genesis chapter 12, he chooses one man, Abram, from a nation to start a new nation, and then that nation would turn into a nation made of families, and then in the New Testament would switch into a family made of nations. So there's this whole storyline of the Bible of God wanting a family and God enacting his plan to get his kids back. Now what we're going to do is jump into the New Testament, all right? So that was the Old Testament last week, New Testament this week, and we're actually going to start in a passage that we were in not too long ago in John, because I've been preaching through the gospel according to John. We're just taking a break from that, but I'm going to go to John chapter one, because I want to look at the same text we looked at before from a different perspective to explain what I've been telling you. Then we'll go to Galatians chapter three, which will explain even more so the text from Genesis chapter 12 and 15 that we saw last week. Then we'll wrap it up in Matthew chapter 12. All right. So if you got a Bible, you can turn with me. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be for a little bit. Then we'll go Galatians 3 and then Matthew 12. All right. So John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, this is the Apostle John kind of giving a story, a history, if you will, of explaining what has happened up to this point with Jesus. John calls it like this. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, that's Jesus, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And that word there, know, is relational term. It's like didn't have a relationship with him. He came to his own, now listen to this, and his own people did not receive him. His own people. Now that phrase right there is an important distinction to understand. Because when he's talking about his own people, he's not talking about all humanity at this point. He's talking about his ethnicity. He's talking about his family line. And this is the Old Testament context of, again, Abram, God taking a man, creating a family, and then turning it into a nation made of families called the nation of Israel. So Israel was the grandson of Abraham. He had 12 sons and this became the 12 tribes So this is just a nation made up of all these families. And one of those families is who Jesus came from. So John is making a distinct point for us to understand. Listen, Jesus was a Jewish person. He was a Jewish man. And he came to a Jewish family. And that is the Old Testament equivalent to understanding the nation of Israel when he says his own people. So he does come from a people. He does come from a specific place, and here's what's amazing about Jesus. Here's what's amazing about your Bible, and I hope to show you these connections, and I I like to show them to you as much as I can because they just fascinate me. But there were so many Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that was to come, and Jesus fulfilled them all. And statistically speaking, that is next to impossible for one person to do. So so someone would say, well, why Jesus? Because he fulfilled all these Old Testament promises. In fact, I remember I was in a Bible study somewhere in college. I don't remember where it was, and I don't remember who was talking and and everything else that they said, which is really encouragement for me as a communicator, right? But I do remember this one thing that he said. He was talking about the statistical chance of the Messiah fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies that Jesus actually did it. And he says, statistically speaking, that would be the equivalent of a tornado going through a junkyard and assembling a 747 jet. Think about that. You ever seen a tornado assemble anything, construct anything? No. And his his point was to sit, statistically speaking, right? I never can say that word. Statistically speaking, It was next to impossible. And so when you read things like this, what you're understanding, what you should kind of key into is this is a fulfillment of Scripture. He came to his own people, the Jewish people, and they didn't receive him. Now, this is an important point in the shift of the storyline of the Bible. Why? Because it's never been about one group. It's always been about... As we saw last week, as I'll show you again, all the families. So look at verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born. Now listen to this, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in those four verses right there, you get an unpacking of the storyline that we talked about last week, the storyline of a family to a nation made of families to a family made of nations. And John is telling us this Jesus who showed up Jewish in ethnicity, he came to his own people, they didn't receive him, but then he makes a shift to say, but to all who did receive him. What does that mean? It means... All families, all nations, whoever received him, he gave the right to become a child of God when they believed. And then he gives this phrase, I love this, they were born. Now let me give you this point if you're taking notes and then I'll unpack it. Whoever believes in Jesus is born again into the family of God. Whoever believes is born again Into the family of God. Why is belief critical? Here's why. This family, this family of God is not what we would call a flesh family, it is what I would call a faith family. And here's what I mean by that you know, my family has a certain genetic history, my great grandfather came from Germany before the First World War because things were already getting crazy there. And so he left, moved to, uh, came into New York City. I've got his papers when he landed. Lived in New York City for a little while. And because of God's grace, he made his way to Texas. (laughs) All right? So that's my family, right? That's my genetic family. That's my history. And so if you wanna be a part of the Gurdist family, you have to be born into that. And I was blessed enough to be born into that. But that's how it happens. But this family is a different kind of family. But notice the same type of terms. You're born into it. But this one, you're not born into it by the will of your parent, physically speaking, but by the will of your father, spiritually speaking. This is a different kind of family. It's a faith family. It is a family that is made up of people from all nations, from all ethnic groups, from all family lines, who come to faith through Jesus, who believe and receive. And so if you want to understand that, to receive Jesus is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus is to receive Jesus. The idea is, you came into the you were born into the family when you believed. That's how you got in. So what makes this a remarkable statement is that there is no one ethnic group that is more important than the others. And we'll get into this more in just a second, but there is something that is important to understand. Jesus did come from a specific ethnic line from the Jewish people, from the line Of Abraham. Why is that important? Because if he is not the offspring of Abraham, then he is not the real father of the faith. Because Abraham, his whole family, which so many Jewish people today misunderstand, was never either about Abraham's ability to produce kids. Because he had none. I said this to you last week. Homeboy was 100, and his wife was barren. So even Abraham's children were of faith. And the argument was that if you really want to be a true son of Abraham, which connects you to Jesus, it's through faith. It's not through flesh. So here's what I'm saying to you. It matters whose family Jesus came from, but it doesn't matter whose family you come from. It doesn't matter. You do not have to become Jewish from a specific ethnic line in order to become a part of the family of God. And I praise God for that because this was the conversation they were having in Acts 15. They were like, well, how Jewish do people have to be in order to be a Christian? They were like, well, do they have to get circumcised? And thank God they said no. Because imagine that in the new member class, (laughs) right? Like, we're so glad you're part of the family. Come on back. (laughs) Thank God. Now it's not circumcision, it's baptism. Baptism is the symbolic nature to being a part of the family. Why? Because it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So if you are believing in Jesus and you're telling the rest of us symbolically, yes, I have died with Christ and I have risen with him, you're a part of the family. It makes new members processes so much easier. Why? Because it was never about being from a specific line of flesh. It was always about, watch this, even in the Old Testament, about faith. You say, well, where do you get that from? Great question. Let's move over to Galatians chapter 3. I'll show you. Again, the best biblical interpretation method to understand is let the Bible interpret the Bible. Let the New Testament unlock the truths for you that lie in the Old Testament. This is how Paul argues, and this is what I want to show you. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says, Do he who supplies the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, that's what was required, that's what faith is a product of, the work of God? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, i.e., because you did the law, i.e., because you're from this family, or by hearing with faith? Now, watch how he grounds his argument. And this is why. I like to teach in this way because I want you to understand how to argue biblically, how to think biblically. Paul grounds his argument that it's on faith by going back to the Old Testament and what God said with Abraham. Look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. What is he arguing? He's saying, listen, and he says this later in Romans 9, or actually earlier, Romans 9, 10 and 11. He says, not all Israel is Israel. What does that mean? Not all the physical descendants of Abraham are actually sons of God. Only those who had the faith of Abraham are the sons of God. It's always and only ever been about faith, never flesh. And he keeps going. Look at this, verse eight. And the scripture, capital S, anytime the New Testament talks about scripture, it's talking about the Old Testament. Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament then. Paul's writing this. Now, I believe he understood that he was writing scripture, but he's referencing the Old Testament. And he says, and the scripture, I love this, foreseeing foreseeing that God would justify, make right, the Gentiles by faith, now watch this, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about blessed was, I'll explain it more in just a second. So then he says this, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. What does he say? The gospel, which is the good news. It's it's a word that the New Testament writers would use to describe the activity of God, the work of God. God did something. It's news. Something happened. It's not and we've forgotten this in our modern journalism. Today we just get opinions. We don't get news anymore. And so you just get opinions about what happened. That's not good news. It's not your opinion. It's not my opinion. It's news. And it's good. And here's what's amazing. This is what I want to show you how amazing your Bible is. Way back in Genesis 12, God preached the gospel. Thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene, God told us what he was going to do. In fact, I would go even further back, and most theologians and pastors do. In Genesis 12, was not the first time that God preached the gospel. It actually happened in Genesis 3. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel. Proto is just first. In Genesis 3, after sin enters the world, God says, listen, there's going to be consequences to this. You're going to work. You're going to get thorns. Labor is going to be painful. I'm going to crush Satan, but how am I going to do it? By the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman, which was looking forward to what Jesus would do. So God promised it in Genesis three, and then He starts directing it through Genesis chapter twelve in the line of Abraham. This is fascinating to me. God preached the gospel to Abraham. God did it, saying, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. How is that going to happen? Abraham is not the father of all nations. You could trace that back to the lineage of Noah, of which Abraham is a part. But But Abraham is the father of the spiritual family of God in that it was his faith that was accredited to him righteousness. That's how you get into the family. Let me say it to you like this. We get into the family the same way Abraham got into the family through faith. And when you believe, you're born into the family. You're born into the family. That's how you get in. Now, this is what makes this so amazing. There is no one Nation that in a biblical sense is more blessed than the others. Now, do we love America? Of course. Do we love Israel? Of course. But we do not give preferential status to say that God doesn't want to bless people from all nations, just those. No. Because God's plan always was not about one nation or two nations, it was about all nations. It was about faith and the family of God. This is why the book of Revelation, John also writes, gives us a picture that I told you last week. He says, I looked and I saw, behold, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne. Not all people everywhere, but all people from all nations. Or, sorry, not all people, but people from all nations. So the family of God is a very wide, diverse, beautiful family, and it has nothing to do with flesh, and it has everything to do with faith. Now, that's the principle, okay? Now, let's get into the application. If that's true, then that should inform how we live, don't you think? If that's true, that should inform how we act which is where Paul goes next. Look at Galatians chapter three, verse 25 through 29. He says, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He was talking about the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized, that's the reference I made earlier, that's what he's talking about, into Christ, have put on Christ. Now again, the physical act of baptism doesn't save you. Being baptized into Christ saves you. You say, why do we get baptized? That is like your first birthday party into the family. That's what it's like, which is why we love to celebrate it around here. That is you telling the family, I'm a part of the family. And we celebrate and we're like, welcome to the family. So that's his point. Now look at this, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The promise God made to Abraham that we'd be blessed. Now, what does blessed mean? I told you this last week. Blessed is the presence of God. Blessed is God saying to us, I'm not ashamed to have you in my family. Blessed is what God told Jesus when Jesus came out from getting baptized in the Jordan River, when he said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And every human heart is longing to hear that. Every human, this is what I told you last week. This is why you can't bless yourself. You can't bless yourself because you can talk to yourself in the mirror and say you're awesome and doggone it, people like you, and one person does not and it ruins your day. You can't bless yourself. You weren't meant to bless yourself. Only God can bless you, and every human heart is is searching for those words, for God to say to us, this is my daughter, this is my son, this is my child, and I'm well pleased in you, and we can have that, the Bible says, in Christ, but here's the implication of that. If that's how I got into the family, if that's how you got into the family— if that's how Abraham got into the family, if that's how people from every nation get into the family, then once you're in the family, do any of us have privileged status over the other? Let me, say, let me ask it like this. Once I'm in the family, does it matter what nation I'm from? Once I'm in the family, does it matter what gender I am? Once I'm in the family, does it matter my socioeconomic status? No. Now let me say to you what this verse is not saying because there's a lot of biblically illiterate people that like to talk on Twitter and TikTok that use verses like this to obliterate biblical truth that has been the same for thousands of years. People will use a verse like this and say, see, there's not just two genders, male and female. God did away with that. No, biblically speaking, there's two. And and I know that's a controversial phrase today, and, and please don't hear me being insensitive to anyone who is struggling with that. We want to be incredibly sensitive to people who have that that understanding of, man, I don't feel right in my skin. I understand that. But biblically speaking, Paul is saying, yes, there's two genders, male and female. Jesus affirms that. The Bible says that. He created them, male and female. What Paul is not saying is that once the gospel shows up, it obliterates those. No, I'm still a male. And if you're a male, you're still a male. If you're a female, you're still a female. He says Jew and Gentile. If, if you were ethnically Jewish and trusted Jesus, guess what? You're still ethnically Jewish. Gentile is just the biblical word of non-Jewish. So it's every other nation. And so I am Gentile. I'm not ethnically Jewish. So I'm still American. But here's what it does mean. What it does mean is the gospel has now changed my priorities. Let me say it to you like this. It has now reordered my identities. Let me give you this point, and then I'll unpack it. The family of God is now our first family. The family of God is now our first family. What does that mean? It means now I am a child of God before I'm anything else. I'm a child of God before I'm American. I'm a child of God before I'm male. I'm a child of God before I'm pastor. And the idea of slave and free there, again, our concept of slavery is not the biblical concept of slavery. It was more like the Old Testament equivalent to how you handle bankruptcy. The idea of our our concept of modern day slavery is nowhere near what the Bible says and what this word is, although it is today a very loaded term. And I understand that, which is why I reference it. It's more of a reference of your socioeconomic status. So what that means is I'm a Christian, a child of God, before I am my job. So if I were to ask you, who are you? How would you answer? That's how you should answer. Good job. You're listening. But that's not how we normally answer. We normally say our job. I am a plumber. I am this. I am a father. I am a mother. I am a grandmother. I am a grandfather or whatever crazy name that you came up with because you don't like those terms. Right? I'm American. I'm Jewish. Now, hear what I'm saying. Are any of those things bad? No. But a good thing that we elevate to first... Can become a bad thing. Let me say it to you like this. If I'm more male than I am Christian, that's bad. Although it's not bad being a male. It's awesome. It is. Now, being female is awesome too. I don't have personal experience in that, but it's awesome. I want my wife to be female. I want my daughter to be female. It is not bad or wrong to be feminine. It's not bad or wrong to be masculine. Those are God-ordained categories. In the same way, it is not bad or wrong for me to be American. When my team competes in the Olympics, I can cheer for America. That's not bad or wrong. But if I'm more American than I am Christian, then a good thing that I elevate to the God thing becomes a bad thing. Let me say it to you like this. You know, we have churches, revolution churches in Kenya where we have planted churches as part of our vision to multiply, and it's incredible. We didn't get to go this year because of COVID. We got to go last year, like end of February, right before everything shut down. We're like, "Oh, thank goodness we got that trip in. But we have, watch this, Watch the language I'm using. We have brothers and sisters in Kenya. We have brothers and sisters in Kenya in Christ. Now watch. They're not from the same country as me. They're not from the same tribe as me. Because in Kenya, you got over 40 tribes. So even within Kenya, because if you don't know the history of Kenya, it was not a nation until about 40 years ago. It was different tribes. So even within Kenya, there's different tribes. Where we work is more of the Turkana tribe. When you fly into Nairobi, it's the Lua tribe, mostly. So there's different tribes. But but they're different than me. So for our, they're Kenyan, I'm American. But I have more in common with my brother in Kenya, who doesn't speak my language, who is not from my same country, But if he has trusted Jesus, he is more of my brother than an American who hasn't trusted Jesus. Are you with me when I say that? He is more my brother. She is more my sister than somebody who is in the same category as me and the lesser ones. They're more my brother than them. So I should, watch this, identify with God's family of faith from all nations more than so I should people from my own nation that don't know God. And we could do this with everything. I have more in common with a female, my sister, who has trusted Jesus than I do with a male who has not. I have more in common with a believer, man or woman, who is in Jesus than I do with someone else who is in my same class, in this country we say middle class, who hasn't trusted Jesus. But watch this, and this is where you will see the schemes of the devil. How does our culture normally classify people by ethnicity, race, gender, socioeconomic class. And in fact, there's all kinds of wickedness going on in the world today trying to, watch this, overtly qualify and classify people into those categories. And the church a lot of well-meaning believers has started to speak up against that and say, "That's not right." But let me push on this. But here's where the church has gotten it wrong. I, I told you this before. We can't do anything about the world, but we can' do things about it in here. The world looks at us when we speak like that, and they say, we all are a bunch of hypocrites because your church is also defined by those things. Because you don't normally have people of different races in your church. You don't normally have people of different socioeconomic statuses in your church. And the one that's really sad is you for sure don't champion a vision for it. And here's what I want you to hear me say. That's God's vision. Because if you have a problem worshiping with people that look differently than you, talk differently than you, come from a different class than you, go to a different school than you, you have a real problem with God. Because that's his family. That's his family. Now I've already told you we don't we don't have to do away with those categories. So, I, I love the fact that my Kenyan brothers and sisters love Kenya and want Kenya to prosper, and I should want Kenya to prosper, and we do. I love my brothers and sisters from America, and I want America to prosper, I do. But more than those two things, I want people from all nations knowing God. That's my priority. So, that priority sets my agenda, it sets how I act, it sets how I live. And this is the vision of God. And so in this church, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, the vision of this church is the vision of God. We are a family of generations and nations. We want every generation in church, from birth all the way up to whatever you consider old, If you're 40, that's 60. If you're 60, that's 80. If you're 90, that's 120. I don't know. It fluctuates. But here's what I'm, the family of God should have every nation and every generation because then the world looks at us and says, man, that's what we want. How did you get it? We got it in Jesus. And here's what I'm trying to show you what the world so desperately wants and is trying to legislate its way into, the church has in Christ and we can grace everyone into. The the solution is not legislation. He just said that you're no longer under a guardian. It's not laws. Why? Because you cannot legislate the human heart. You can't. You can only transform it. And that happens by the grace of God. So, when the grace of God shows up, this is what you see in Acts chapter two it attracts people from all nations, all generations. That's what Paul's saying. So, this family of God is a family that is primarily defined by whether we are in Christ or not. Faith, it has always been that way. And just to, to nerd out a little theology on you, because I get this question often about biblical Israel, ethnic Israel, all this kind of stuff. I do not believe that God has two plans of salvation, two different groups of people. It's always been one group, and it always has been by faith. That's what I showed you in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and now that's how Paul understood it in Galatians 3. It was always by faith. It will always and forever be by faith. So God enacted one plan of salvation that started with the nation of Israel but didn't end with the nation of Israel. So do we love ethnic Israel? Of course we do. Just like we love ethnic Kenya. We love nations. We're not anti-nations. We're not anti-nations defending themselves. The Bible is not. But what you have to understand is there is no privileged nation. There's the privileged family from God. And so it's one line by faith. And it's one salvation plan. And God is simply enacting what he told Abraham when he said, it's very simple. In you, all nations shall be blessed. That's the plan of God. That's the story of God. And so what that means for us As a local church, we'll get into more of this over the next three weeks. Why a local church then? Why do we need a local church with local pastors and local leadership? Why is that important? We'll get into that over the next three weeks. But I'm just trying to make the biblical case for you in these first two weeks of why a family? Because that's how Jesus himself understood it. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Now, I've already told you many times, um, again, another argument that sometimes well-meaning but really biblically illiterate people will make is, well, Jesus never said anything about that. I see this all the time. If it's on a specific sin issue, this is the favorite one. Well, Jesus never said anything about that. So if Jesus, I'm going with the red letter. My friends, if if you want to know how I study the Bible, I turn off the feature that turns those into red. And and when I print out my notes, it's in red, all of them, because it's all the words of God. It's all the words of God. But I do think it's important to look at Jesus's words. Look at Matthew 12, verse 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, this is why I love Jesus. So he's there. He's ministering. A guy walks up and says, hey, bro, your mom and your brothers are outside. And Jesus being all philosophical, this is why I love Jesus. He's like, who's my brother? Who are my mother's? Now just imagine this. You're that guy. You like Jesus. He's done some awesome stuff. You're like, hey, dude, just letting you know, your mom, your brother's outside. And Jesus turns to him, all philosophical, who's my brother? James? (laughs) Who's your mother? Mary? What you talking about? And this is where I like to point out, when Jesus asks the question, not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because he wants you to think, because he's about to drop some theological truth on you. And look at what he says. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 50, for whoever, notice that word, whoever... You can interpret that from anywhere, anyone. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What did Jesus just do in this statement? He does not, watch, he does not characterize family relationships through ethnic family lines. He characterizes them by anyone who does the will of his father. Anyone. For whoever does the will of my father is my brother. Now, if you grew up going to church, and I always know people that have been to church because they come up to me and like, hey, Brother Jason. And, and I get it, it's, you know, it's the culture But here's the problem I have with that phrase. They don't go up to other people in the church and say, hey, brother. See, as a pastor, I'm not any more privileged in the family of God. I'm not any more brother than you are. So the reason I don't like that term is because brother is used for like special people, leadership people. No, I have a title. Yeah, my title is pastor. And that's why I love, no, my, I'm Pastor Jason. But yes, I am your brother. If you're in Christ, you're my brother. You're my sister. But you're not my brother and my sister because I'm a pastor and you're not, like I'm somehow your brother, but you're not my brother. I don't have any privileged position with the Father. I don't have a red phone. Now I have a role. And we'll get into that over the next few weeks. Why pastors? But here's what I want to make you see. Jesus says, no, it's whoever does the will of my father. So what is the will of the father? Be here for the next three weeks. You'll know. Cliffhanger. But notice the language Jesus uses. If you do the will of my father, you're my brother. So listen to me, church. If you're in Christ today, I want you to walk out. Jesus is my brother. I'm his sister. I'm his brother. God's my father. And my father can beat up your father. He's my father. Jesus is my brother. And and, and watch this. I'm going to wrap it up with this. You say, well, how do I get into the family? Notice what Jesus did when he's asked the question, your mother and brother outside, it says this, he stretched out his hand to his disciples and said, these are. How did they get to being his brother and sisters? Jesus stretched out his hands. He stretched out his hands on the cross. And he took our punishment as our older brother to get us back to his father. That's how. You believe that and you're born into the family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth about who Jesus is. He is the promised son. He did fulfill all the Old Testament requirements as the Jewish Messiah, but he did not only come for Jewish people. Yes, he came from them, but he didn't just come for them. And now today, you are calling people out of every nation, every tribe, every tongue into your family. That's what happened on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When the miracle occurred that they heard the gospel in their language. And so God, I pray right now if there's anybody here who thinks there's no way they could be a part of the family of God. Because they've messed it up. I pray today that they would understand that yes, they have messed it up. But Jesus stretched out his hand to cover them. Jesus stretched out his hands on the cross to take the punishment of their sins, to get them back as his brother and sister into relationship with his father. And so God, I pray today that you would create faith in them so that they can believe and be born into, born again into the family of God. No one looking around or talking here as we close today. If you want to trust Jesus, believe Jesus, receive Jesus, you'll be born again into the family. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. You say, Father, thank you for loving me that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I believe, I trust in Jesus. And so therefore I receive life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving me. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed to trust Jesus and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Again, this is just so we can know who you are. We just have a gift we wanna give you, thank you. When you receive that, you can put your hand down. And then those of us that have trusted Jesus, I wanna encourage you today. Let the family of God become your new priority. Do not treat church on the Lord's Day as secondary to your other priorities. This is what amazes me about Christian people. They treat the church like it's optional and then wonder why their kids grow up treating the church optional. It's your family. And every week, the gathering of the church is another family reunion where we are getting together to worship our father and praise the sacrifice of our brother and to encourage one another to keep walking with him. So prioritize that in your life above every other priority and see your first family as the family of God, not any other affiliation that you're a part of. Father, we pray that you would make this a reality in our church, that would we, we would be a family of nations and generations, because that is the greatest testimony to the world to say, look, We have the answer to what you're wanting, and it's Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Love you, family.